You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. I realize I'm a little bit shorter. Need to uh, put it down. I, I was trying to realize this morning, it was 35 years ago that I was a freshman here at Asbury University. And I want you to know you have it so much better than I had it when I was your age. There was no such thing as a fall break here. Uh, we just went all the way through without any break at all. Now, how many of you are going home for fall break? Okay, how many of you are traveling somewhere else for fall break? Uh, how many of you are staying here on campus? Oh, my. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, it is uh, my privilege to have this opportunity to come and, uh, and, and share with you. And I, I'm reminded this morning of, of, of the command that Jesus gave to Judas. Uh, Jesus said to Judas, what you do, do quickly. And so I'm going to try to obey Jesus this morning. And so that what I do, I'm going to try to do quickly. Uh, so that you will have an opportunity to move even faster towards uh, fall break. But I do have the privilege this morning of, of coming and sharing with you uh, the Word of God. And if you have your Bibles with you or uh, you have your cell phones with you and you'd like to follow along uh, there, uh, we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72. Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse... 66 in reading through verse 72, a very familiar passage of Scripture for many of you. Uh, this is, at least in uh, Western history, one of the most famous betrayals, one of the most famous denials uh, in, in Western history. 14, chapter 14 of Mark, beginning with verse 66 in reading through verse 72. And I'm going to ask if you would to please stand in honor and reverence of the public reading of God's Word. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. And when the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. And again, he denied it. And after a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, Truly, I do not know this man. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let us pray. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. If you're like I am, 
When you read this passage of Scripture or you hear it, you form two quick judgments. First, Peter denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. He denies Jesus because he is afraid to die. He does not want to suffer the same fate as Jesus. That's the first initial judgment. The second initial judgment that I make is that when Peter declares in his third denial, truly I do not know this man, he is telling a lie. Surely Peter knows Jesus. He's been a disciple for three years. He's one of Jesus' three closest friends. He must be lying. But if we take a moment, which is what we're going to do this morning, and step back and look at events earlier in the evening, earlier in the book of Mark, of chapter 14, we will see that both of these initial judgments are completely wrong. First of all, we see by the events earlier in the evening that Peter is not afraid to lay down his life for Jesus Christ. He is not afraid to die for Jesus. Earlier in Mark chapter 14, earlier events in the evening, Jesus concludes the Last Supper, the last Passover meal. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where he surrenders his human will to the will of God. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus there embraces the cross. And while he's praying in the garden... The religious leaders in Jerusalem send an armed militia led by Judas Iscariot to arrest Christ. And when Jesus comes out of the garden, after he's finished praying, the armed militia arrives on the scene. Now, the armed militia have no idea who Jesus is. So Judas Iscariot has to go and kiss Jesus on the cheek to clearly identify him. And at that moment, the armed militia rushes in to arrest Christ. But at the moment that the militia rushes in, Peter, along with the rest of the disciples, rise up in defense of Christ. And the picture that Mark gives to us in chapter 14 is that this is the beginning of a rumble. This is the beginning of a battle. It is the beginning of a fight, a fight that not only is going to draw blood, but this is a fight in which people on both sides could very easily live, lose their lives. And Mark tells us that one of the disciples actually is able to retrieve a sword from one of the militia, and he begins to brandish that sword about, and he draws first blood. Yea, disciples! They are now on the offensive. They have drawn first blood in defense of Christ. Now Mark doesn't tell us who this disciple is, but the Gospel of John makes clear that this disciple who is brandishing the sword about, 
this disciple who is willing in this moment to lay down his life for Christ, this disciple who cuts off the ear of one of the militiamen, that disciple is Peter. Peter is not afraid to lay down his life for Christ. But the reason why Peter is not afraid to die for Jesus in this moment is because he thinks that Jesus is about what Peter wants. You see, Peter believes that Jesus Christ is an earthly Messiah. He believes that Jesus has come to overthrow the oppression of the Roman Empire. He has come to liberate Israel, not only from the Roman Empire, but from the Jewish traitors in Jerusalem, and to once again restore the fortunes of Israel. And Peter thinks, along with the rest of the disciples, if they can survive the war that is going to take place, the fight that's going to take place, that they're going to have a position of privilege and honor and power in this new kingdom. You see, Peter is not afraid to lay down his life for Christ as long as Jesus is about Peter's agenda. As long as Jesus is about what Peter wants. Many of you know the famous reformer Martin Luther. And Martin Luther said that as a result of the fall, that humanity has humanity's heart curved in onto itself. The famous Latin phrase is homo incurvatus in se. Man turned in onto himself. And Martin Luther said that as a result of the fall, the human heart is so selfish that it, and I'm quoting Luther here, wickedly, curvedly, viciously seeks all things, even God, for its own sake. See, the truth of the matter is, and this is what Martin Luther was pointing us to do, is that as a result of the fall, it's not that you and I deny God. As a result of the fall, you and I are willing to seek God. We're willing to worship God. We're willing to serve God. And we might even be willing to lay down our lives for God as long as it's about what we want. Peter's willing to lay down his life for Jesus because he thinks Jesus is about Peter's agenda. I love a story that's told in early Christianity. It's not found in the Bible. It's found in extra biblical, uh, extra Christian material that comes from the second century of Christianity. And in this story, it talks about Jesus and he is training his disciples. And so one morning, as Jesus and the disciples get up, Jesus asked the disciples to find a rock that they will carry throughout the day. And so the disciples scramble and begin to find a rock, the right rock for them, that they can carry throughout the day in obedience to the commands that Jesus has given. And uh, Peter, oh, that rascally rabbit Peter, 
He wants to honor the letter of the command, if not the spirit of the command of Christ. So he finds the smallest rock that he can carry throughout that day. And so he finds a pebble. And so while the rest of the disciples throughout the day are carrying various sizes of rocks with varying levels of discomfort and various levels of challenges, Peter is not having any trouble at all with this command of Jesus. And that evening, when a fire is set and they're ready to eat, Jesus snaps his fingers and he turns those rocks into bread. And that is their evening meal. Poor Peter. All he had was a morsel of bread for dinner that night. And so he goes to bed hungry. And so the next day, Jesus gives to his disciples the same command. And so this time, while the disciples are trying to find just the right rock, Peter finds the absolute biggest rock he can find that he can possibly carry. You have to remember, he is really hungry now. So he finds the biggest rock he can, and he struggles carrying that rock through the day. But he knows what's going to come at the end. And he knows he's finally going to be able to satisfy his hunger. And so that drives him through the course of the day. That evening, there is a fire that is built. But this time, Jesus doesn't snap his finger, and he doesn't do anything with the rocks. Peter is mad. He is upset with Jesus. And he goes to complain to Christ, what have you done? And Jesus asked Peter one question. Peter, were you carrying that rock for you? Or were you carrying that rock for me? We're willing to obey Jesus. We're willing to serve him. We're willing to seek him as long as he is about what we want. Please make no mistake. Peter is not afraid to lay down his life. But he's only willing to do it as long as Jesus is about what he wants. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, what do you want from Jesus? Are you seeking him? Are you serving him? Are you worshiping him? Are you giving your life to him? But it's about what you want, or is it about what he wants? So we see that, first of all, that Peter's not afraid to lay down his life for Christ. But we also see when Peter, in his last denial, in his third denial, says, says truly, I do not know this man. He is not telling a lie. He is in, spec, in, spec, he is in, um, he is in fact telling the truth. He's telling the truth. I do not know this man. 
And go back, earlier events, Mark chapter 14. Uh, I left you in the midst of a rumble that has begun. First blood has gone to the disciples. There is a fight that is going to draw more blood that is probably going to take human life on both sides. And in the midst of this escalating tension, Mark tells us in the midst of this, Jesus loudly says, am I an insurrectionist that you have come to arrest me with clubs and swords? And at the moment he makes that loud statement, you can hear a pin drop. And all of the fight and all of the energy in the disciples dissipates. And they flee. In the moment that Jesus makes this declaration, the disciples for the very first time see Jesus for who he is and see him for what he is about. And they recognize, even though they've been with him for three years, they do not know him. And they scatter. Now, we need to go back even further in the Gospel of Mark. You may remember it's in Mark chapter 8. The first eight chapters of Mark are focused on Christ. And it culminates in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus asked his disciples this question. Who do men say that I am? And you know the various answers that are given. And then Jesus turns his attention to the disciples and he says, Who do you say that I am? And you remember Peter's answer? Peter said, You are the... What did he say? You are the... You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And then immediately Jesus says that he, as the Messiah, must suffer many things that he must be handed over to the religious leaders, and that he must die a shameful death. And Peter immediately rebukes him. Because the vision they have for Jesus, and the agenda they have for Jesus, ain't that. And you follow the Gospel of Mark, and you will see that three other times, Jesus will talk about what must happen to him. And every time it is said to them, it goes completely over their heads. They are not able to hear and they're not able to see what Jesus is talking about until this moment. Am I an insurrectionist? And for the first time they realize this isn't the Messiah we were betting our lives on. This is not the Messiah that we thought that we were following. Can I say something here? Almost every Christian comes to a moment of crystal clarity in their lives where they begin to see Jesus for who he really is and what he is about. and wonder, and wonder. And may even say to themselves, truly, I do not know him. We come to those moments in our lives 
uh, when we begin to realize that God is not the one who answers absolutely all the prayers that we want God to answer for us in the way that God wants to answer it for it in our lives. We come to that moment of crystal clarity. We begin to realize that the follow Jesus doesn't necessarily spare us from the pain and the suffering and the tragedies of life. Where we come to the point where we realize that following Jesus and being surrendered to him does not mean necessarily that we get the white picket fence and the home and the family that we dreamed of and we've always wanted in our lives. It does not mean that we achieve in this life the American dream. It does not mean that we live a life of ease and comfort. We begin to realize that when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, we see him for the first time. We have that moment of crystal clarity where we begin that there are no guarantees in following Jesus. No guarantees of where that may lead us in this life and what might happen to us as a result of following him. The only guarantee that we have is that he will not leave us or forsake us. What we learn from Peter and what we learn from Mark chapter 14 is that Jesus is not nearly as interested in our agenda for him as he is in his agenda for us. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is not nearly as interested in our agenda for him as he is in his agenda for us. And this is the reason why in being a disciple of Jesus, in being a Christian, we must all come to a place of unconditional, unequivocal surrender to him. Not my will, O oh Lord, but your will be done in me. And so my challenge to you this morning is to simply ask yourself the question, why am I following Jesus? Is it about what I want or is it about what he wants? And then to leave here and at least begin in deeper and fuller ways to come to grips with the reality that he is not as interested about your agenda as he is about his agenda in you. And we must come to a place where we surrender ourselves fully to who he really is and what he is really about. I'm going to ask you now if you would please stand and I'd like to give to you a benediction. It has been a privilege for me to have an opportunity to come and share with you. And as you leave here this morning, please receive this benediction.
may you go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit to surrender your life fully to Jesus for who he really is and what he is really about in you and through you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Go forth in peace.